Hello and welcome back to the England Rugby podcast of O2 Inside Line. I'm Hugo Monnier and you're listening to the first episode of a brand new series of the podcast. What a year 2019 was for England Rugby and what a year it promises to be in 2020. And one man with some very definite ideas of how he'd like it to pan out is this week's special guest. I don't feel foreign as the, as the cage of England. When yeah. I'm walking around the streets, I feel foreign. Because <laughs> I still feel it cold, as you saw when I came with a beanie on. Everyone else has got a T-shirt and shorts on, I've got a beanie on. I'm joined by none other than England head coach, Eddie Jones. Well, I think we've put pride and passion back into English rugby. I think generally just coming back, the enthusiasm for rugby here has grown. I think people enjoyed the team's performance. I really enjoyed the way the players went about you know, rebuilding England rugby. As well as revealing some of his thoughts and his time in England so far, keep listening to learn more about Eddie's 2020 vision. So it was a rollercoaster ride in 2019, 2020 will be the same. So hang on to your seats and get ready. <laughs> This is a real exclusive and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. So without further ado, here's what happened when I sat down with Eddie Jones. So welcome Eddie Jones to O2 Inside Line. Um, how are you doing? Very good, mate. Pleasure to be here. It's good to see you looking in this <laughs> sartorial splendour again, mate. <laughs> Mate, what have you been up to since, uh, since Japan? Had a bit of time uh, Grieved for a while, mate. Worked until uh, second week of December and then had two and a half weeks off uh, with my wife in Japan. Everyone grieves differently. How do you grieve? Uh, well, it's not something you want to get good at, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so I haven't practised that much. Um, That's good. Just try to reflect, think about what I should have done, what I could have done. Firstly, accept the responsibility for the defeat and see what we can learn from it and uh, get ready for the next assault, mate. Very good. Um, well, you've been in charge of England for four years now. Um, how do you reflect on that time? The reality is we took a team that didn't make the playoffs to be the second best team in the world. So, yeah, we've, we've done some good things. We've won some, we won a Grand Slam, won a Six Nations, won a silver medal. We didn't quite get to where we wanted to go. So some really good things, but... The ultimate disappointment of missing out on the gold medals there and sitting there. And the only thing we can reflect on is how do we raise the standards next? You came in and you said you wanted this England team to play like a traditional England team. And I think we all know exactly what that looks like. Do you think you've been able to implement that on this squad? Yeah, I think we have. I think think there were some good examples where we played a powerful defence-dominated game. We were able to add some good attack to our game. And I enjoyed the way we played. You know, we weren't able to do it in the final, but I thought in the semi-final and the quarter-final, we really imposed ourselves on the opposition and I was really proud of the way the players played. Speak about the style of play, and I think everyone's really enjoyed that over the last years, especially the way in which it's developed. But apart from the gains and some successes you've had, what do you consider to be some of the other achievements that you've been able to extract from this side? Well, I think we've put pride and passion back into English rugby. I think... Generally, just coming back, the enthusiasm for rugby has grown. I think people enjoyed the team's performance. I really enjoyed the way the players went about rebuilding England rugby. And all the credit deserves to be given to the players because they've been fantastic. You'd have encountered many challenges along your way. Um, what have they been? I've got an idea, but you might yeah, tell well, me something Yeah, well, the big different. thing is, is always the, the physical condition of the players. We've got great players here. 
But it is a tough season here, as you know. You've you've played it. It's a long season. Club rugby here is attritional, so it's trying to get the players in the best physical condition, which is always a battle. Um, but I think, as we saw, when we got them in the best physical condition, what great players they are. Have you had any surprises along the way? Uh, no, I, don't, I don't think so, because of, because I've already coached club rugby here, so I've seen it from the other side, and now being in charge of the national team, you, you understand the balances, the checks and balances the conflicts in priorities and, and you just try to keep that at a manageable level and I think we've done that and I think you know the game's healthier for it and the challenge is how do we go forward. Speaking to you, spokesman for England Rugby, you're, you're the head honcho but you've certainly not been alone on your journey so maybe just a word and you've already mentioned the players but the other coaches and support staff that you've been involved with. Yeah, well, I think the other the other great thing we're able to achieve is a strong, whatever you want to call it, togetherness of the of the squad that not only involved the players but also the staff. You know, guys like Guzzi, who's gone now the Harlequins head coach, uh, Neil Hatley's gone the Bath, which is is great for us because if we pick the right assistant coaches, they they uh, they're valuable commodities, and and so we put three coaches back into the club system. Very proud of, of, of that achievement. Um, yeah, that was part of the deal of a foreigner taking over as England head coach was to produce English coaches and we've done that and the challenge is in the next period of time whether we can do it again. Just mentioned foreigner coming in as England head coach. Um, how foreign do you feel four years later? Well, I don't feel foreign as the, as the coach of England. When yeah. I'm walking around the streets, I feel foreign. Because <laughs> <laughs> I still feel it cold, as you saw when I came with a beanie on. Everyone else has got a T-shirt and shorts on, I've got a beanie on. Yeah, that's one of the challenges you, you may not ever get over. Um, Eddie, for you as a person, not just a coach, um, have you seen ways in which you've changed and learnt and developed over the last four years? I think the great thing about rugby is that it continually moves, and if you want to keep coaching, um, you have to move with it. Yeah, the younger players now are a lot different than they were four years ago. Social media has become a much greater influence in the way that people are educated, yeah. and coaching-wise, we've had to change. I know now, as opposed to, say, 10 years ago, you'd spend maybe 90% of your time at the front of the room, and now you'd probably spend 90% of your time at the back of the room. Now, you've still got to influence and direct, but, yeah. it, but you're asking the players to make more decisions by themselves. You're guiding them more than telling them. And I think that's been a great change in the way you coach. You know, you still have to know when to, when to knock on the table and say, boys, this is it, we've got to do it this way. But I think it's a lot more about bringing people together and, and getting them to, to take more responsibility themselves. You've always looked like a person really hungry to learn. So you've looked at different coaches, methods, institutions uh, to help you along that journey. Can you tell us about some of the influences that helped you, you in the way in which you developed? I think you could, you've always got to look for people who are, who are smarter than you. Okay. Um, so in my case, that's not too hard. Um, but you're always looking for people who have been successful. So we were lucky enough to have Sir Alex Ferguson come in and he was absolutely outstanding. You know, he just spoke to the players. What did he say? Very, again, simple messages. You know, you always find with the, the winning people okay. that the messages are always simple. It's never too complex because the game's complex yeah. and what you're trying to do is make everything simple. Yeah, and one of the things we took from Fergie was just about that, you know, that great term they used to have, Fergie time, be patient. You know, don't try to overplay the game. Just be patient, do your job. 
And from a coaching point of view, just, again, reinforcing the importance of observation. You get all this data now, you know, every morning you get sheets of paper like this on the players, but the, the greatest thing for you is the observation of the players. So just the brilliance of the simplicity of the message. Yep. Caught up with Danny Carey, the who's now the men's hockey coach, who's a winning oh, right. hockey coach at, uh, for the women at the, yeah. the previous World Cup. And just talking about how, how we get players to learn, how we're going to get players to learn better. Again, just refreshing. So you're always just looking for those bits and pieces. Um, I've just read a great book called Astro Ball, okay. um, which is the new version of Moneyball. Uh, really? Yeah. Okay, what did you learn from that? Well, it's all about the Houston, Houston Astros, how they were the worst team in the world yeah. in baseball. Okay. They were at one stage of their TV ratings was 0.0%. So no one in Houston was watching him play. That's how bad they were. Oh, wow. And then they went to become world champions and just about the process of what they did. And, you know, recently everyone's been talking about data and, and the analytics of data, and, and that's so important. But what, what they did was not only use the data but also mix that with intuition. Okay. So they used the experience of coaches. They used the experience of experienced players to help the data become alive. Okay. And so they went from a team that couldn't win to be the best team in, in America, which is the best team in the world. Are there any other places, institutions or people that you'd like to speak to? Yeah, I, I had a brief chat to David Brailsford and I'd like to chat oh, wow, to him a, yeah. bit, a bit more. He seemed like a very interesting sort of guy. Uh, I'd love to speak to Boris Johnson too about how he put together the campaign because he was successful, wasn't he? In his own way, so I'd love to speak to him. I don't know whether I'd get an invitation there or not. If you do sit down with him, can, can we record it? That 100%. Would, that would be absolutely <laughs> magic. All cameras would be on, mate. <laughs> this is Jamie George, and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. You've already mentioned some of the challenges, some of the tribulations and triumphs, but... 2019, quite clearly a pivotal year. How do you reflect on that year in itself? I thought we had a great year, mate. I thought Six Nations, we played some superb rugby. We probably had two bad halves in the Six Nations and they cost us dearly. And you've got to learn from that, which is is the process going forward. But I thought we played some great rugby. I thought we had a great togetherness of English rugby. Um, You know, we did some things with O2 supporting us, such as the the Bristol Open Day, um, which was a marked philosophical change so we wanted to be part of the people not this exclusive team and and the players really bought into that we trained at schools got involved in the local communities a lot more and I think we provided some inspiration for the rugby community because at the end of the day we're all in this together you know the community clubs professional clubs we're all in this together what was it like for you heading back to Japan with this England squad considering the ties that you have there uh, well, firstly, I was really proud of the way our, our team accepted it was going to be different, got on with it. A great example was when we had the typhoon. Yeah, you know, we weren't right. complaining about it. We just got on. We went to another area of Japan and just got on with it. Um, secondly, I was proud of Japan. I thought they did a fantastic job hosting it. All the objective figures show yeah. you know, the attendance was fantastic, the money was fantastic. But the atmosphere, mm-hmm. you know, it was like a festival of mm-hmm. rugby and you had these great mixes at the grounds of maybe if we were playing 40% England supporters, 30% opposition, 
and you had 30% of Japanese who were barracking for the team who were going to win. Yeah. Now, my wife was telling me about the, the semi-finals. She had two Japanese guys in all-black jumpers next to them. And then when England scored, they're jumping up and down and clapping. <laughs> it was fantastic. And, that, and that's a bit of the spirit of what it was like. Yeah. And I think... Yeah, a lot of the values of Japanese society are the same values about rugby, you know, working together, being respectful, and I think that really came out. And that might sound a bit wishy-washy, but I, I, I think people felt that. What impact do you think your squad and the way in which they played are going to have in this country and, and, I, and I guess the wider audiences as well? Oh, I think, you know, there's some general comments that numbers have gone up in the junior ranks, which is fantastic. I think, you know, parents are enthusiastic about their children playing rugby and I think as long as we keep the coaching and development of, of young players going I think it showed the value of diversity, that was the other thing that stood out for me, we probably had the most diverse English squad that's been seen you know, different backgrounds uh, different educational levels, different racial mix and I thought that diversity came out as a really strong point and I think in terms of English rugby you know, it is going to change um, and maybe we were the forefront of that change. Final couple of questions on Japan before we look ahead. Um, what lessons did you learn from the tournament in Japan? A couple of things. I think uh, firstly, you know, if you look back four years ago, we set a vision for the team to become the most dominant team in the world. Now, we didn't quite get there, but if you set the bar high and you go this far, you're still doing pretty well yeah. and, and that's what we did. Um, I think secondly, the need for just to keep being fresh about what you do. And I think we did that pretty well in the four years. We kept the team fairly fresh, kept the training fairly fresh. So we we made it so that the players felt excited about what they were doing. And thirdly, be England. You know, don't try to copy anyone else, be ourselves. Play play the game to our strengths. And we did that and we showed you can be successful. One of the other things is that we set the goal of being not only the best team in the world, but for the players to not want the experience to end. We wanted them to have a great experience yeah. because it is. It's a fantastic thing in your life. And I think the players had a great experience, so I think we achieved that goal. And, you know, there was a couple of players who came up and said, I, I don't want this to end, which is a nice, nice feeling to have. Hi, I'm Willie Hines, England Scrum Half, and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. If you're enjoying this episode, don't forget to show the podcast some love by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Okay, Eddie, we're going to have a bit of light-hearted fun now, and we're going to create your dream dinner date. So no money, no expenses spared. It can be anywhere you want. You can invite anyone that you want as well. Where would you have it? Uh... That's a good question. I'd probably pick a sushi restaurant in Tokyo. And the guys I'm involved, being an old hooker, I'd have props there. Gen, Sinclair, Cole, (laughs) Marla. So they would be your four dream dinner guests? They'd be the four dream dinner. No one else? No one else. Okay, I'll tell you what. If you had to step outside the world of rugby, what three dinner guests would you choose? Uh, Boris Johnson, Donald Trump. And the third one, I'll oh, probably the Australian Prime Minister at the moment. He's under the pump a bit. Yeah, geez, he's under a bit of stress. Um, okay, what would you have for starter? Some nice sashimi. Okay. What fish? I don't know, the English, Japanese aji. It's a nice silver fish. It's beautiful. Okay. And then for your main? Main, some sushi. Any in particular? There's a couple that I like. Uh, there's a fish intestine called shirako. It's a white, white 
bit of the fish, it's beautiful. Okay. And uh, uni, which is the crab poo, I think it's... No, it's sea urchin, sea urchin oh, poo. It's very nice. I'm, I'm not keen. I wasn't invited, <laughs> but just not for anymore. And then uh, for dessert, what do you have? Uh, dessert, just some nice fruit, mate. Okay, fair enough. And to drink... I mean, I don't know if you're a drinker, alcoholic, non-alcoholic. I uh, don't mind a nice uh, red wine. Okay. Um, so a South African Pinot Targe or a nice Pinot Noir. Not that it really goes with sushi or sashimi. Whiskey's big in Japan, isn't Whiskey's it? massive, mate, but it's not real good for your health. No. <laughs> Everything in moderation, right? Okay, um, who or what would be playing at your party? I'd just like to talk about those guys, about their experience. I'd love to, like, imagine spending one day inside Donald Trump's head. You know, or one day inside off. Boris Johnson's head. Just okay. the way they think about, about how they create a following. It'd be fascinating. Um, yeah, uh, yeah fascinating is one word to you. I mean, I'd be really confused. I think I really would be. If you could ask them all just one question, beyond that one, what else would you ask them? Why they chose politics? What satisfaction do they get from the job? Because, yeah, when you're a coach and, and you were a player... You know the reason you, you were involved in the game was because you loved it. And now when, you, when you're when you too old to, to play, and then the next best thing you do is coach. And coaching to me is about, I want our team to play the perfect game. Yeah. And I want our players to be the best they can be. And, and when a player's come off that's achieved something, you see that twinkle in their eyes and it's, it's been all been worth the hard work during the week to achieve that. And I'd, I'd love to know what the politicians get there get their satisfaction from. And lastly, what would the dress code be? Dress code, uh, I'd leave it to you, okay? <laughs> Mike, have I invited? <laughs> You're invited as dress consultant. Do you um, know I reckon we should have a feature on this, outside of this. Sh- should we just spend a day shopping? 100%, you, mate. you be up for that? <laughs> 100%. <laughs> but I get to pick your gear. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, mate. Hi, this is George Ford, and you're listening to the official England Rugby Podcast with Auto Inside Line. A new tournament on the horizon, Guinness Six Nations. Um, I guess, what's your mindset heading into that new tournament, new cycle? Yeah, raise the standards, mate. How do we raise the standards? We want to be the most dominant team in the world. To do that, we've got to raise the standards. So we've got to think about, as a staff, how we raise the standards. The players, when they get selected and come into camp, got to think about how they can raise the standards. And we do that... We want to be the most dominant team that, that world rugby's ever seen. A new cycle. Is there temptation to just litter the squad with young guys, giving them an opportunity, giving them four years looking ahead? Uh, well, I don't think we need to do that, yep. but, but we definitely need to refresh the squad. I think there's some great young players playing in club rugby and a, a few of them are ready to be involved in the squad. You know, I could probably think about three or four that are ready to go and, and they'll definitely be picked in the squad. But there are other players who have still got a lot of good rugby left in them and, and, and the new coaching staff's job will be to bring the best out of those players. The England rugby team, the first team, that's obviously the main focus and attention. But let's look at the pathway. Um, who's on that? You, you've recently been involved in England under-20s. Yeah, I think there's a great opportunity. Connor O'Shea's taking over. and uh, Good man. Connor's a, a great man. Uh, had experience at the England Institute of Sport. Uh, been coaching Italy over the last... Uh, have you chatted Jeez. about Rockgate? You were there. <laughs> we have. Had Shake it out, made yeah, up? Yeah, no, no problem at all. <laughs> um, so he's in charge, and I think there's a great opportunity um, 
for that really to develop again. It's been fantastic for English rugby, but there's a, again, like anything, there's a chance to step up. And I went to an under-20s training session a couple of weeks ago and was really impressed by the young talent coming through. And what's really uh, been, I think, positive for English rugby, you see at some of the, the, the club teams now, they're bringing the young talent through earlier. Yep. You know, Northampton particularly, yeah. Harlequins have brought young guys through and it's going to create great competition. And it means that if you're in the team, if you're in the national team, you can't rest on your laurels because you've got these young kids who are coming up. If you've got young kids with lots of potential, you need some good coaches, and that's changing. What can you tell us about your coaching staff? Hat's gone back to Bath, but uh, he did a great job for us. But we've got another coach coming in who's got outstanding credentials, okay. um, who'll join us very shortly. Uh, Wise, he's gone back to Australia, he's got his shorts on. And again, we've found another great young coach to come in and, and move into that area. And it's important that the new coaching team realises there's some great things we did, yeah. but we can do them better. And okay. how do we do them better? And, and it's a, a massive opportunity for us to keep growing. And some new look faces, not just potentially in your squad, but in the other nations as well. New coaches for Wales, for Ireland, for Italy and for France. Um, what challenges do you think they'll provide under new stewardship? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I think uh, France are probably the most advanced you can see the country starting to get behind the French national team, so they'll be a powerful force. Wales and Ireland have been winning teams. You know, I think they've got Gatlin Gates now. So every time Wayne Pivak drives in there, he sees Gatlin Gates, which, which will put some pressure on, on, on what he does. So he'll have to handle that expectation. Uh, Andy Farrell's a bit the same in Ireland. You know, Joe Smith's probably been their most successful coach. He's following their footsteps. But they've got good, great players, so they'll be tough to beat. And Scotland, you know, Townsend will be looking for, for to see how he can improve. We'll just touch on France. Um, they've often been spoken about as a sleeping giant. Do you think they're ready to finally get their act together and, and wake up, maybe? They've got Laporte as president, who's doing everything he can to get the clubs in line with the national team. So I think they're going to be in the best condition they've ever been. They've got some great young talent. As I've seen, they've they've won the last two under-20 Worlds Championships, so they've got the best young players in the world. So whether they can get that talent to be cohesive and play as one team, as as the football team did, then if they do that, they're going to be hard to beat. Talk about the evolution of rugby. Six nations. Do you think it's an opportunity to see perhaps a slightly more attacking brand of rugby? Yeah, one of the most instrumental people in our games are referees. I think World Rugby have got a responsibility to ensure the referees make the game faster, and they can, they can control that, uh, allow quick ball at the ruck so we can attack, because everyone wants to attack, but you can't attack if you're getting slow ball. If you're digging the ball out of the river there, it's pretty hard to attack when you've got 15 guys in front of you. So if the referees allow us to play with some quick ball, um, then I think there could be some great rugby. OK, I'm glad you touched on that, because... 2020, Eddie, let's get inside your head and give us your vision. Uh, Ruckball, if you could make some of law amendments, how do we solve some of those problems and what changes would you like to see going forward in the game? Well, it's a short term, it's about the referees refereeing the laws at the breakdown, getting some quick ball. So uh, specifically, what are you talking specific, about? Referee the order of the breakdown. Make the tackler roll away, make the tackle assist release. Uh, if we get that right, then we'll get some quick ball. And then secondly, I think in the larger picture, we've got to make the game more fatiguing. 
we've got to get some more pace in the game because now, currently, a test match goes for 110 minutes, of which 35 minutes is ball in play, 65 minutes is ball out of play. So it's becoming more and more like NFL, which suits powerful big players. And so the only way we'll change that is to increase the ball in play and decrease the ball out of play. And the referees can manage that. There's ways they can do it. Like if a player's injured 50 metres down the field, he doesn't have to stop the game. He doesn't have to have a long chat to the front row. Ten minutes after he's chatted to them in the dressing room about how they're going to scrummage. All of those things are are manageable and achievable, but it takes a real vision for where you want the game to do. And, And this is where... Countries like England, we've got to push world rugby to, to create a better game. Lots of fans, lots of people interested in rugby often have these discussions with us at the pubs, at home, wherever it might be. How do the things that you want to see affect the game? How do they come about? Is it getting the coaches, referees, world rugby together? Talk us through that. How that well, it's one of the problems at the moment. We don't have that process in place. Okay. Um, but it has been there, and for some reason at the moment it's not. Um, but if we get that greater... Again, working together, coaches, referees, players, all working together. What sort of game do we want? Where do we want the game to go? If we can get that process in place, the game will flourish even further. You're going to get your hands on your players pretty soon. Um, Talk us through that process. When they come into camp, what are they to expect? So the first couple of days will be like pre-season training. Not too much activity, a lot of talk. What could we have done better? Because at the end of the day... There's some things to learn from there, so we've got to make sure we learn. We'll do some light training and then we'll start our our preparation basically on the Saturday before the Sunday game. Get ourselves organised, look to see where we can make some some changes to what we've done and then we're into France. If I'm the young fella coming into the England squad, how do I get integrated? How do I get made welcome and feel part of the England army? Well, the great example is Lewis Ludner comes in, shy boy. But from the ver- one of the very first meetings, he stands up, talks about about what he sees. And, okay. and it's all about what can you add to the team because it's like business. We have team business and, and everything you do either adds to that or takes away from it. So we want young guys who come in that want to add to the team business. Looking back to the fans, when you look at the amount of talent, our talent pool, um, some of the young guns getting given opportunities in the Gallagher Premiership, there's... There's a lot of reason to be excited, isn't there? Massive number of reasons. Um, and it all starts with France in the first game of the Six Nations. So our fans last last year were fantastic. There's, and there's no reason to think they won't be even better this year. And, and hopefully, again, we can do things that helps engage the fans closer to the team. You know, unfortunately, one of the things in professional rugby is because it's become so competitive, unfortunately, the team... Uh, a little bit more divorced from the fans than they used to be. Like, not, you know, in the old days, you could have fans coming to training because they only had three things in the line out front, middle, or back. <laughs> so it wasn't, there wasn't too many secrets. But now, obviously, there's a few more tactics and, and it's harder for the fans to get access. But uh, we certainly want to make sure through our um, sponsors that we can open that up to the fans. And a quick message to the fans because you'll absolutely rely upon them in a similar manner you did in 2019. Um, yeah, quick message to the fans ahead of the Guinness so, Station. So it was a roller coaster ride in 2019. 2020 will be the same. So hang on to your seats and get ready. <laughs> Eddie, all the very best of luck for the Guinness Six Nations and the rest of the year. Thanks. Cheers, you. mate. So there you have it, the inside line of one of the most revered rugby coaches in the world.
It really was a privilege to sit down and chat with Eddie and learn more about his journey and his vision for the future. If you enjoyed it too, please leave us a review and let us know what you thought of it. If this is your first time you've joined us, be sure to listen back to some of our other episodes featuring the likes of Carl Sinclair, Owen Farrell, and of course, my old school mate, Johnny Wilkinson. We'll be back next week for business as usual, ahead of another big Guinness Six Nations fixture. Until then, a massive thank you to Eddie for joining us, and of course, a huge thank you for listening. Catch you next time.